Welcome to Child Art, a podcast sponsored by the Center for the Study of Childhood Art at the University of Arkansas. I'm Dr. Christopher Schulte, Director of the Center for the Study of Childhood Art and co-host of the Child Art Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Hyun Park, Associate Director of the Center for the Study of Childhood Art and co-host of the Child Art Podcast. The Child Art Podcast features follow-up interviews with participants of the Childhood Art Speaker Series. While the Childhood Art Speaker Series is more introductory in purpose, formatted to introduce a broad audience to the work of leading scholar practitioners whose research has the potential to reshape how we think about and approach the artistic, play-based, and aesthetic practices of young people, the Child Art Podcast extends this introductory engagement through follow-up interviews that detail further the personal, historical, political, methodological, and theoretical underpinnings of the scholar practitioner's work. Today, we are pleased to return to dialogue with Dr. Sylvia Kine and Dr. Christina Delgado-Ventimilla. If you have not yet had the pleasure of reviewing their earlier presentation, which served as the inaugural event of the Childhood Art Speaker Series, please take some time to visit our website as, at www.centerforthestudyofchildhoodart.com. There on the Childhood Art Speaker Series page, you will find a recording of their presentation, which links to the CSCA YouTube channel. We highly recommend you to take time to listen to and reflect on the ideas shared as part of this presentation and to consider the generative possibilities of Dr. Kynes and Dr. Delgado Ventimilla's ongoing collaborative work. Sylvia, Christina, if I may, we would like to begin with a question that circles back to something you, Christina, said during your presentation. In talking about your collaboration with Sylvia, a collaboration that also emerges in context with the lives and experiences of young people, you described this work as difficult and heavy. You also noted the challenge of having to negotiate the double dynamic of being both a host and guest in your work with young people and perhaps with each other. Might you tell us a bit more about the difficulties and heaviness of doing this work? of having to live, think, inquire, and be with others in this double dynamic. Yes, um, thank you, Chris and Heyon, for, for inviting us to continue this, this conversation um, and for such a great question. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, when I think about the, the heaviness and the difficulty of the work, um, what happens to me is just I, I get filled with images of moments, of moments where that difficulty and that heaviness was uh, happening and we were taken by it, right? And, and the other image that comes to me is, you know, how do we deal with that? Um, and I think that, is a, that, that was always an important question and continues to be an important question because at least in my experience of early childhood education, um, it tends to be so personal. It tends to be so about the teacher, the child, you know, um, it is always about an I, an ego. And um, I think that what Sylvia and I have been trying to, to work and to create in always in these very um, divergent ways is uh, a work that is not about me or you. And with this, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, um, dismiss the personal and dismiss that, you know, we have feelings and that we feel when things are hard, but 
but that the work is a bigger story than oneself, that the work is about this, this space of creation. Um, and I think that that has been often the, the difficulties has been in trying to, to do a work that wants to be about the space of creation uh, in a field that is so highly um, personal and that is constantly thinking just about me rather than thinking what I will consider pedagogy or the pedagogical, um, which for me is always creation, transformation, you know, giving form to something and deforming and going back again and again to it. Um, so yes, I think that uh, as much as these moments of difficulty and, and you know, heaviness have been many and have been hard, they have been also always generative because I do want to highlight that it is not difficulty for the sake of difficulty. It has been always difficulty and then how do I keep going this conversation? So it's not that kind of difficulty of uh, alienating, alienating each other, right? But it's that kind of difficulty and then asking again, how do, you, how do I take up this conversation? And um, you know, there are moment, very, very key moments where this difficulty got accentuated. One that comes to my mind right now as I am looking at Sylvia. Pods event, our very first event. Yes, you know, there are these two very huge events, I think. One, and Sylvia can speak more ab about this, um, is an event that with Sylvia we organized for the infant and toddler teachers. You know, Sylvia had just arrived to the centers and atelierista, I was coming back from my maternity leave. And even before, a year before, in the first years I had been working at, at Capilano, I was so troubled by borders. Like, you know, borders based on child development and developmental appropriate practices. Uh, you know, I come from a very different understanding of what education might be and, and pedagogy, really. And, and this feel being so suffocated by child development was so difficult for me, really so, so tremendously difficult. And one, of, one of, the, of the symptoms was this necessity for borders. And so I came to Sylvia and said, Sylvia, <laughs> these borders, you know, we, we need to create something. How can we encounter each other? And I think that actually was the first, the first event where the pedagogical and the artistic came together and, and did something and, and something very radical, I think. Well, um, and it was quite, I mean, it was highly surprising for me because I had come from, I mean, I had studied as a Montessori teacher, worked years ago as a Montessori teacher, came from the arts, had just finished my dissertation, immersed in the arts, and I had this collection of 1,000 small felted white pods that was part of my dissertation research. And I thought they're beautiful, they're welcoming, what harm could they do? <laughs> so we had told the teachers that, and again, I must say that we are, have been incredibly fortunate to work with such a group of adventurous yes. educators. As much as we have disturbed things, we have been so heartened by their embrace of, of the work and the adventure to experiment and the willingness as well as the agony of being disrupted. So we had, Christina had come to me and said, we need to do something. We had told the teachers we're gonna, you know, make, do a surprise, it'll be some kind, it'll be an artistic surprise. So we took these 1000 pods as well as stones that were sort of in 
formation from stones to some covered with wool and then some just the pods and had created this beautiful trail from the infant room the door was opened which it was hardly ever at that time opened went into the toddler room out on the deck and um was would and the deck was a common place between the other other rooms a, a beautiful trail of pods um and it it created such a trouble. <laughs> the pods spread everywhere as the children came in. There were stones, there were children doing all kinds of things, children moving from room to room, which I guess had never happened before. And me, not knowing early childhood, I didn't think anything of this. I thought, this is beautiful. <laughs> Um, but the trouble we caused in that event was huge and the resonance, not all the teachers are still there in the center, but the resonance of this day and this was, how old is Julian now? He's 13. 13. This was 13 years ago. Yes. Actually 14, he was one at the time. Yes. And one thing that maybe following with what Sylvie is saying, you know, we were disrupting borders, that's for sure, right? Children from the infant route could crawl and go to the toddler and then from the toddler they could go to the to the deck. And and of course troubling that for the for the teachers. But also a big piece of this event is that I really wanted to uh, think with Sylvia how we could trouble also possession, which is another huge logic in early childhood education. These are my children, my project, my room. Um, and, and so we did this event before the children, the, sorry, before the teachers came to the center. So they arrived to the rooms being already taken by these beautiful white felted pots. And, and that for them was unthinkable. You know that that they will come to the room and there will be already some pots everywhere <laughs> waiting for them, and the children will have something already waiting for them. Uh, I think that was just a huge piece of it. Um, and the best response, quite honestly, was them saying, "We expected a surprise, but we did not expect this." And <laughs> you realize yeah. that. <laughs> it was or, a surprise. Like, how can you be? You should be surprised by a surprise. Yes. Or as one teacher, and you know, I think we have written about this somewhere, uh, that turned to me very, very upset and said, you know, I can deal only with the unexpected that I can expect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so those those profound contradictions that I think makes early childhood. And maybe just to 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 finish this question of these moments of difficulty. Um, and heaviness, you know, for many years, Sylvia and I re represent this very um, difficult uh, space for teachers and, and beyond because of seeing us as the theory one, me being me, and the practice one being Sylvia. And I will say that people around us really took that very, 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 how can I say, heavily <laughs> and work with it. And actually worked so much with it that it may it was able to separate our practice for at least a year. We could mm -hmm. and I had to figure out how to come back to each other after the kind of seizures that were created in this idea of the, you are the pedagogistas, therefore you are the one that is super conceptual and theoretical, and you, Siva, you are the one that is just about hands. <laughs> you know? I actually had it easier than Christina because yeah. <laughs> the arts, well, you know, there, there's a sense of welcoming and, you know, nice, beautiful things out. 
Um, but I think what we also realized that to me that, I mean, maybe Christine already knew this at this time, but I was learning. To, I didn't know what an atelierista was at, coming into it. I mean, I had certainly, I'd been to Reggio, I had read so much of their work, but to actually figure out what was this in this place, it, I, I probably have only been able to explain who I am in the last couple of years, <laughs> what this role is. So it was also this coming into being for me beside Christina with the pedagogista and realize, and also being very clear that it couldn't be the same we couldn't merge to be you know to to have this as one pathway that these intersections however disturbing and disrupting and difficult they were however much they seem to you know prompt teachers to take a side or, or one side or the other that was absolutely necessary for the work and I still miss it you know even Christine has been gone for a few years but it's this that, that intersection of the arts and pedagogy where they inform, they interrupt each other, but they don't just walk side by side pathways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if, I mean, we, we could go also into the host and guest, <laughs> being a host and being a guest, but you know, I feel we are talking a lot. So maybe we'll give you. Well, I'll just say one thing about that. I think to me that is critical in teaching in, in these kind of events where I'm not just providing things for students, for children, but I am disrupted as well. And I think, I mean, certainly within that pod event in any, any event, I'm always making sure in some way it destabilizes me that I'm in there trying to figure things out as well. It's not just knowing what's going to happen or planning things and stuff standing back that my own destabilization is essential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that that's kind of struck me about your discussion at this point, which has been wonderful, is the way that you're thinking about, for example, um, borders and possession. It's almost as if you're thinking about these things which are really striated, which often, I think, have a, the capacity to hold people in place. Mm -hmm. You seem to be thinking of them as material that you can work with that can remain pliable. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, the idea of borders, of possession, of maybe structures or tendencies that exist uh, in spaces with young people that often keep us in place, but you've given yourself permission to kind of uh, play with that in a little bit different way. Yes, I think that um, in some other also conversations similar to this one, I have referred to them uh, and I truly see them as what I call autoimmune logics in early childhood education. They are, as you're saying, Chris, and maybe I think you're hinting to that, they are there uh, in a kind of protection, right? They, they hold us, they protect us, they tell us what, who we are and, and what we are supposed to be doing. But, you know, the protection can be so, so there that it can harm. And that's what I see. And, and as a pedagogist, I have been you know, trying to, to think through these autoimmune logics of early childhood. And they are autoimmune because I think it, ultimately what he wants to protect is the world that early childhood worlds, right? <laughs> to be a bit away there, you know, that, that, that we need in early childhood to continue creating a world that we can recognize. And that it is so scary to think of a world that I can't recognize, a world that I, have, that I actually have to think about it and to make it. 
which is the world that I think uh, Sylvia and I have been trying to, to create. And, you know, it is, again, going back to the question of difficulty and heaviness, it is so incredibly hard. You know, I have heard Sylvia often refer to her work as, you know, I come from another world. <laughs> Welcome to my world, even, you know. Like, Quite on that, just to interject a small point, that's a comment I often get on student evaluations. Yeah. So it's as if Sylvia's in another world and I don't understand that world. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, oh, I, even, even in that world and even in those comments, for me, and, and again, this might be the, the pedagogista that speaks so loudly, it is never with intention to alienate you to to say I know better you know I know the world that early childhood should be it's far from my interest uh, what I am interested in and I think there's where Steve and I connect so deeply is to create <laughs> to actually create a, a world and not to continue this world that is based on other autoimmune logics such as for example assimilation we just have to assimilate the latest model be that Montessori rage or whatever is that, right? That we just have to search for models or that we just need to extract, which is something that I have been feeling very palpably lately, you know, this idea that as long as I use these interesting concepts that I extract from wherever I go to hear them, then I seem to be doing something in early childhood. So there are for sure a, a series of logics um, that play out heavily and in the everyday practice of early childhood education, there were logics that I think in, in our work together, we were trying to, to disrupt. Um, and to disrupt why also, and if I may just say a few words to go back to the guest and the, and the host, I think that one of the things that the pedagogies in the, in the Children's Center um, have been trying to create or to, to base on is on this idea of radical hospitality. Um, and you know, and and I don't really truly know fully on what I'm trying to tell you here because I'm still thinking about it. But um, radical hospitality, and and there is, you know, I'm completely um, influenced by Derrida and and you know the work and the years of reading his work. Um, but this idea that it is a radical hospitality to the unknown, to the you know, the hospitality to what you don't know and it, and it hasn't actually even arrived. And for me, that is so important because again, it is a world that wants to know itself all the time and particularly in relationship to children, right? We know it, we know children, we have child development, they are going through stages and ages and that's all we need to have. And I think that what we heavily disrupt in the children's center was this idea that we already know. and. Um, so even in the guest and host dynamic, that dynamic is based on this radical hospitality, on the hospitality for the, the unknown and for the yet to come. And for a child that is a child that I don't know already and that I, I wish not to know, you know, that that is not where I'm trying to go. Um, and in some ways wanting to always stay in that space of being a foreigner, a space of estrangement that has been also very, very important to, to the point of, of painfully, uh, important, right? Like, you know, there, I think in the work of a pedagogista, perhaps more than an atelierista, I know it gets to a point that you need to leave, that you need to go, you need to move. Um, I don't know if when I left Capilano, it was the time I was ready to, <laughs> to move on, um, but I recognize the necessity to do that, even if it's heartbreaking. I, I 
left Capilano and I hold a broken heart. And, you know, it truly, and, and I have to, to uh, patch it, <laughs> to stitch it. And the, the continuous relationship with Sylvia is the kind of lullaby <laughs> that stitches my broken heart of having left such an important work but also knowing that at a certain point I needed to leave as, as many pedagogists uh, need to do, not all of them, but many. And I think that that has characterized also the work there, you know, not wanting always to be of the home. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sylvia and Christina for, for that response. Um, we're gonna move on to the next question. Um, so Dr. Susan Stinson, a renowned dance education scholar, writes that taking the opportunity to think about meaningful moments in our lives, those that come to exemplify something we believe helps us become more conscious of our visions and values. When you think about your own life and some of the meaningful moments within it, what comes to mind? And how do these moments exemplify what you believe in, the values you hold dear, and in what ways do these moments and values contribute to your work and the visions you cast for yourself as a researcher and teacher? I'll start. That's a beautiful, beautiful question, but I do want to open up um, the words a little bit that I don't necessarily see the experiences as something that happened in the past and then I find meaning and bring that meaning to me. It's more like a force that acts that activates, that continues to activate something. So, and I can think of so many examples, but I think, you know, start with the easiest one. <laughs> Certainly being in Reggio, that very first time, two, you know, 15 years ago, having just finished my dissertation, thinking deeply about orthography and then being in their schools and seeing it in front of me and seeing Reggio through orthography and then walking back to the city from the Loris Malaguzzi Center and speculating, well, what if? What if we could create studios in early childhood? And this was even before I was at Capilano. Um, before, studios in early childhood that were for adults and children together. What if, what would this life be? So that wasn't what they were doing. So quite honestly, when I came to CAP and was beginning to work with Christina and the, 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 the impulse to create a life, not just to do art, to do, art, you know, create curriculum, but to create a life that's, you know, and 15 years later, I'm just starting that work. <laughs> of starting a adult studio space that is that is founded on the same that that I'm hoping can be that we're working towards founded on similar ways of thinking about studio work but with children with adults within teacher education not with children although often together the other thing and Christine interrupt me at any point because this point I could talk on for a long time um, <laughs> probably what is most dear to my heart and has always been, you know, for gosh, now more than 30 years, have <laughs> been the impulse of my life has been my son, Nathaniel, who was born with extensive disabilities and always, and probably even more and more so, this constant in this way of welcoming, wanting to welcome and to multiply difference 
to multiple languages, to be thinking about what are multiple and other ways of knowing, of being, of, of perceiving and moving through the world. And to me, that is the heart of studio work. It's not trying to make space for disability, particularly, or to make space for him. It is these ways of being that he, he and, I, and it's like Christina said, I can't, when you were talking about knowing, I can't know him fully. <laughs> He can't tell me what he is feeling and thinking. He is blind, he can't see the world. Um, but this impulse, what he activates in me is this desire for more and more space, not all at once, not a free for all, but a more and more space to make space for alternate ways of being and knowing and, and moving through the world. To me, that is the, the heart and the impulse of studio work. It's not the art, <laughs> it is this, and this is where also it has met, it had, I not had a pedagogista working with me. I don't know that this would have taken shape in the same way. Mm -hmm. That's the short version. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I, as Sylvia, I also think this is a very beautiful question and I love how Sylvia opens up the, the quote that, uh, that you read. Um, and I think that I, you know, as I think about the meaningful moments, I also think about how those moments uh, are not fully known and how they keep reproposing in, in my life. Actually, I was having a conversation with Sylvia, I think it was yesterday, and I'm at the same time reading a beautiful book. Uh, it's called Women Who Make a Fuss, and it's by Isabel Stengers and Vincian Despret, right? And then there is, there is this beautiful quote at a moment in the book that speaks about the word resuscitate, which is such a Catholic word, but the way that they understand resuscitate as is to think again, to know, to come to know again in a different mode. And I think that that is what happens with these meaningful moments in our lives is that they just keep reproposing themselves and we keep knowing them, come to know them again and encounter them again, but in a different mode. Um, and I think I have never fully thought about how that actually happens. And, and Sylvia yesterday said something that really struck me about it. Um, and then, you know, a couple of hours later, I went and <laughs> continued reading the book and I find this and I could not, not connect to, to this interview too. Um, I think that for me, you know, in, in my work, I have been forever asking, even before coming to Canada, asking this, eternal questions you know one eternal question for me has been what does it mean to to live well, well with others especially in pedagogical spaces the other is who am i allowed to be who are we allowed to be and that is also a, a huge question and what is it to live right the, the, to to have a, to create living formations uh, and life giving uh, spaces um, and those questions, I think they're always intertwined with uh, growing up being very suspicious of um, anything that was already fully prescribed. And, you know, I grew up, um, I am a woman from the Andes. I grew up in Ecuador um, and I grew up with a mother that was doing what women at the time couldn't do or even imagine doing. And just by, by necessity you know my mother had been truly uh, abandoned by, by my father and with two small children and rather than 
just going in under the wings of my great grandparents, she decided to to do to make a life, to make a life with what she was, and against everything that her society and her norms will say she should do. Um, and so I, I grew up figuring out this woman that was trying to make something that I knew was different. I knew it was a struggle, but I couldn't have the words or even the full-on picture to understand what is what was going on there. And at the same time, you know, I was in a Catholic school, just with girls, with these nuns telling me that the world was in one shape. <laughs> and um, later in my life, I had many events that were events of loss and very profound events of loss that undid everything that this world, this very well-shaped world <laughs> uh, that was given to me, it couldn't make sense. I couldn't, you know, fathom these two things together. And I think that made me so, so suspicious. And then because of the work of my heart father, I was, you know, raised by, by uh, a man that my mother eventually married and he was, he raised me. Um, because of his work, we had to travel um, and I had to find my way very early. Like I was 12 years, the first time I, we went to work in, you know, Enrico went to work in Northern Portugal. <laughs> and I had to move from this Catholic school to a public school with boys and girls, mainly people that live on, from the land in northern Portugal. And I had to find my way. You know, I had to figure out a way. I had to figure out a language, a way, a, a, so, so many things. So that, that idea of a world that is already prescribed or a sense that the idea that community means knowing already what, what gathers us or how we belong, it, it always was very puzzling. And then finding the work of, you know, later in, in my PhD of Jean-Luc Nancy and Jacques Derrida, who speak about this inoperative community, a community that exists only when it breaks, <laughs> only when you have to think about how you come together, when those needs need to be re remade. Um, that makes so, so much sense to me. But, you know, and, and I keep asking the same questions and I keep resisting to the same kind of, um, uh, coagulating totalitarian forces, um, but very much rooted through, uh, you know, laws and, and pain, <laughs> uh, yeah, and death, you know, the living pedagogies that I keep talking, they're deeply rooted in, in dying and in death and, and trying to make sense of, you know, people that I love so dearly that just died. Thank you, Christina, and thank you, Sylvia. One of the things that you've said that I'm finding myself thinking about is this having to find your way. Mm -hmm. uh, an impulse that comes about for, our, for many reasons, obviously, but it, it reminds me of, you know, maybe the importance of, of young, young people entering into occasions in which that's, that's part of the necessary work that occurs. It also reminds me a bit, Sylvia, of the evaluations you spoke of earlier, where students sense uh, a world that is maybe different than the one that they're part of, right? Or a way of working in that world that is different than the one they currently know. And so I wonder, just broadly speaking, whether it's in relationship to young people or in relationship to adults, the importance of being part of occasions that move us to find ways. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that there are alternate ways of thinking and being like that, that is the, the constant beautiful invitation from my son is that I don't know his fully his way of being, but it is, it is, it's a beautiful, he has these, this beautiful synergy at times with the world and with the wind and with the ground and with the birds and the sounds and him singing in it. And, you know, it's not that we want, I want someone to do that. It's to open up alternate ways like that, that I don't know, <laughs> that I can't say this is how it works. It's like what Christina was saying is like, what, el what else is possible? What other ways of being? And quite honestly, if I had students who didn't say that on an evaluation, I, now I would probably feel disappointed. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful thing to open up to students that there are other worlds <laughs> and other ways. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think find, find the ways, but also taking up a way. You know, and, and mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. it's so important that it, yes, sure, it's finding a way, but it's also uh, taking up a life, <laughs> uh, making some, having some intentions, making some decisions, and uh, I will say resisting, right, and subtracting ourselves from other ways, uh, which I think is so important uh, in, in education. And I think going back to our practice, you know, Sylvia and I have resisted so much going back again to the question of difficulty right and resistance is it's hard it's, it's you know it's so in sometimes even demoralizing and i think i said that in our presentation you know that how we keep going again and again even when things feel so broken uh, because i do think that taking up a life means uh, or finding other ways of being as he was saying means that you you need to to subtract to some, you, you need to weaken some, some other logics, particularly, for example, in the work that we have done at Capilano, it has become very important to think for us, you know, what does it mean to be in a settler society? What does it mean to be with these children in this space trying to take up a life? And certainly it will not be interesting for me to take up a life that reproduces what is already there. I think that our ethical call was to figure out, you know, how do you figure out that as settlers? And for me, it's through the path of undoing, weakening as much as possible, those capitalistic logics that are so ingrained in early childhood. So all, all this to say, you find a way, but you also take up a way and you also make some, I think, decisions, whether it's in, in a, a personal life or, or in, in the life of, of, of the work, right? So building on that, I want to move on to our, our final question, but I'm going to rephrase it just a little bit. Um, part of the discussion to this point has been about, you know, finding your way and beginning to imagine or construct different imaginaries that allow you to live in the world differently. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if, if the two of you would be willing to talk a little bit about some of the commitments that you feel are really necessary um, to articulating that vision that enables you to live differently in the world. And by commitment, I don't mean prescription, but I mean a commitment that undoubtedly lives differently in different places at different times in relation to different materials and different people and events, et cetera, but commitments nonetheless. Mm -hmm. 
you want to go? Oh, gosh. That's a, I mean, that's a hard question, I think, because, I mean, it's, I think for me, what is also necessary is companions in the work, not necessarily, again, as companions through sameness, but where you can intersect and, and, and um, there's ideas and things to work with that destabilize you as well as inaugurate something new. Um, I think certainly the, the dispositions, the attunements, this is Christina's, you know, your thoughts always about this, the, the ethos that we are creating, the, these exposures, who we are, who can we be. Um, so a commitment to um, interdisciplinary work, not staying certainly within art education. I am, you know, I, I feel the lack of not having other art educators around me, but at the same time, it situates it in relation with so many other ideas. And the arts in relation to pedagogy, especially, has been incredibly generative. So I think certainly within, you know, a commitment within the arts is not to keep the arts separate. Um, it, it, it devolves, at least from what I see, into just this free experimentation, beautiful processes with young children, and it doesn't have much substance or strength to it. Um, Christina, you add, and then I'll add. <laughs> I think for me, um, it, it is, you know, it is a commitment to, to respond, you know, as a pedag because I'm thinking your question as a pedagogista, mainly, and, and the commitment of a pedagogist, uh, which more than committed perhaps is the responsibility, is to, to know how to respond, um, to be compelled by the world in which we exist, with which we exist, and to be able to respond, um, knowing that responding is never already knowing how you are going to do it. The, the responding is a kind of a, a, an ability that happens in a leap of faith, you know, it's, it's a jumping. And, it's not that you do it because you ought to do it, but because you're trying to to follow some 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 possibilities. Um, and I think that that in in that response is is a response that that emerges from knowing what is surrounding us to to become to become very situated and to respond knowing that we think that you know think we must as Wolf said, and then Stenger takes it up, right? Think we must. And I think that we live in a world right now that that, that, that requirement is as, as necessary and as vivid in, in my heart as anything else. Uh, and I think that has characterized, I mean, Sylvia is, is who can talk more about it, but in, in my idea of the work that has characterized constantly and it's not a thinking that is an um, you know a contemplation closing my office in the ivory tower you know it is for me a, a, a very active thinking and very imminent and, and grounded in the everyday practice and in how you know how I raise my children and what are the kind of ideas that, that we, we, we think with um, but also the ones that we don't even engage with and how do we, how can we create the spaces to listen to to ways of being and, and thinking that we haven't necessarily engaged with and that become and that seem to be so impossible right so first I you know I'm thinking right now about my own country that is going through presidential elections and 
for my people, it seems so impossible to imagine a world that is not based on the, the rules of economy, right? Or that is not based on extractivism because that is what the North has told us. You know, we come to your place so we can extract everything we can. And, and then you, you deal with what is remaining or what is left. And it is so impossible to imagine that there could be another way. And there are, it's not that we have to invent anything. There have been for thousands of years, other ways, right? Um, so a commitment I think for me is a commitment to, to think, but to think otherwise and to create the spaces in early childhood education that might help us do that. And again, knowing that it's so deeply hard that a projects might even, and I have witnessed, you know, I have been part of projects that have been shut down because of their own radicality, right? Because it's, it's too much. Yeah. But I think very much, sorry, Sylvia, with what you are saying, I couldn't do this alone. And to go back to the pods, uh, to, to the pods example, I can tell you, I had my heart in my throat when we did that pod, for <laughs> the exper experiment, you know, that think otherwise. I was so vulnerable. I was so nervous. I felt that we were absolutely like, what are we doing? Because I saw also the reactions of the teachers, and I have these moments so tattooed in my heart that we were in the deck, and I turned to Sylvia. And I saw her, I saw her when I felt my heart going, you know, 150, I think. And I saw her and I saw this woman with her camera so composed, so holding it, so grounding. She grounded me. Maybe she was also as vulnerable as me. And I thought, I remember saying, okay, I am doing this with her. <laughs> I am in this with her. And that for me was the inauguration of, of, an, of our relation. You know, that I can turn and, and I have many, I mean, Steve and I, I think we have many companions, uh, many feminine companions in, in doing this, right? And feminists mm -hmm. and, and this kind of, of a struggle and, and of making a life. I also think this struggle is necessary though. Like I, I think, and, and particularly in the arts and early childhood to, to think that we could find these spaces that are just easy and free and I'm constantly like resisting this freedom like you want more and more space more and more possibilities but it can't be a free-for-all just anything goes then that's when I'm always looking to bring in what are these things we can work with and struggle with like right now I'm trying to bring back some developmental perspectives artistic development as a bit of grounding to say look there are some things here to think about and to struggle about so that it's not just these beautiful photos of children with paint on them and these lovely images. It's like, what, what can we struggle with here? What can we work with? Like those are, and, and that again was that that pods event always stays in my heart as, as that it needs both this, this resistance, things to work with and work against and, 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 and manipulate, not, you know, to, to work with um, so that we're creating something, we're in the doing, in the making, but again, not just doing anything and nothing. It's, it's making something that will have a life and it will last. And whether it, you know, it's not, it needs to last for a lifetime, but it's to have a sense that it, that it's something is growing from here. Something is taking root. Um, 
and it needs constant nourishment, but it also needs these resistances in some ways. Mm -hmm. And even as I'm saying that, I'm probably regretting it because it's never pleasant, <laughs> but it is absolutely necessary, I think. Yes. And maybe also to say that as, as commitments need to be affirmative, you know, to, to go back to this question of, of freedom, they also need to be, uh, commitments also can allow you to say no. You know, this is, mm -hmm. this is the mm -hmm. biggest lesson I got from my professors in Italy who had no problem to say no. You know? and, and in my work at, uh, at Capilano and beyond, my work in Canada, it is so difficult to say no, you know, to say no, you're cast away. Why, you know, is you're not within the constant harmonious affirmation. And not that affirmation is not necessarily, but I do think that sometimes we just need to say, no, we are not doing this. <laughs> We're not going this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, just want to leave you with, with a story that I think it, it's a, a lovely story based on what we have been saying. Um, and of course, Sylvia is also involved in this story. You know, I have a daughter, uh, Sarah. Um, you know, if we want to go with ages, she is not even 10. And one day she woke up, like a couple of weeks ago, she woke up, she came down. I was waiting for her to have breakfast. And she said, she sat down and she said, Mama, I have realized something, you know? And what I have realized is that my life has a lot of adventure, but no mystery, right? And it just began with that announcement. It began this sort of difficult moments for her to figure out, you know, what is this mystery? Do I bring it? Do I make it? Does it just arrive? Um, and, you know, for Sarah, the mystery is nothing transcendental. It's very imminent. It's, it's in, the, in the very everyday. And, you know, she had a conversation with Silvia, who is her atelierista, because she, you know, she was raised in Silvia's studio and she recurrently goes back to Silvia, you know, and Silvia had these beautiful moments of offering, you know, maybe with photography, maybe finding those little cracks that no one notices, maybe the mystery is there and, and Sarah trying to figure out that. But as I was listening to that conversation, I was thinking, you know, that, that's it. And I think that if I have to say in, in, a, in a one sort of nudge word, what has been the work or, you know, what is this living pedagogies is that is how do we keep the mystery of this cosmic adventure? You know, how, how do we not dilute it um, in, in these, you know, evaluations and assessments and linearities that we have created for ourselves as humans? So I just thought I would share that story. Thank you, Christina. It's lovely. Dr. Kind, Dr. Delgado, Ventimiglia, thank you for your time and for the care that you have taken to further illustrate your work and practice and your relationship as well. It has been such a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next time on Child Art, we will sit down with Dr. Christine Thompson, Professor Emerita of Art Education at the Pennsylvania State University and current faculty member in Art Education at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Until then, visit our website for additional updates and news at www.centerforthestudyofchildhoodart.com. Thank you.